Well, good morning. So good to see you today here in the auditorium. Welcome to everyone watching at CarneyEfree.com and all of those in the venue. This morning we welcome you also. My name is Adrian, and it's, uh, it is. It's a blessing to be together. Those child dedications that we had here in the auditorium were tremendous, weren't they? Man, what a gift those were to listen to those parents. Hmm. Such a highlight to hear parents speak about their faith and their hopes and dreams for their kids, to pray for their kids, to share a, a, a dedication verse as they did. Each of those families did a wonderful job. And in the venue, Bill, be sure you stick around as there will be a dedication at the end of the service today as well. I just want to encourage you, as you heard in the announcements there, we're doing these a series of teachings on a monthly basis called The Gospel And, and a lot of you have been coming to those. I really encourage you to come to the next one, The Gospel And, My Neighborhood, because we're going to be interacting a little bit, and it's an interactive teaching time, interacting a little bit related to how do we encounter culture. And I get a lot of questions these days about how Christians should be interacting with the wider culture. And how we think about the way we interact with the wider culture will impact, of course, how we interact with our neighborhoods. So I really want to encourage you to come back for that a week from this coming Wednesday night. We're going to jump into today's message, and I'm going to be skipping around a little bit. Our primary passage will be John chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. Then after that is the book of Acts. If you get to the book of Acts, you've gone just a little bit too far. But the place I want to start here, though, this morning is with this famous passage of Jesus. In which Jesus says this, at the end of his time here on earth, as he is getting ready to ascend to heaven, he's been resurrected and he's been teaching his disciples, explaining things to them for 50 days. They have a 50-day tutorial with Jesus. That would be so awesome. And the end of that 50 days... He ascends to heaven, and his final words but before ascending to heaven are these. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations by doing these two things, by baptizing them and by teaching them to, com to follow all that I have commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. That's called the Great Commission, and it's one that many of us know well. And it's a really beautiful passage, and it's one that I like to come back to oftentimes, because what it's saying is that discipleship is the main thing that we do. Sometimes while we look at this passage and we say the main thing must be going on mission to the world, and this passage certainly includes that, but bigger than going on to mission to the world is the commanding verb that Jesus uses, again, his final words to his disciples, but before he ascends to heaven, is this. He says, go and make disciples. If you're in Matthew, you want to circle that. You want to underline that. You want to go and make disciples. And he says you go and you make disciples by doing these two things. A little bit of grammar here. Commanding verb is make disciples. Subordinate verbs are by baptizing and by teaching. By doing these two things. By baptizing them, that's number one. And then by teaching them, that's number two. To obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. 
Okay, so he's telling us to go and make disciples, and he gives us the way to do so. He gives us his marching orders for our lives, and he says, you go and you do this one person at a time, starting with your family, as these young couples did here though this morning, starting with my family, going out to my neighborhood, going out to my community. Believe it or not, this is God's plan for changing the world. You realize that? You, me, us, those watching online, one person at a time, with one other person at a time, with family, perhaps with a few others, perhaps with neighborhood and workplace, as God leads us. And these two words that Jesus gives to us are baptizing and teaching, which are all about identity and instruction. Say that with me. Identity and instruction. Identity and instruction. Identity and instruction. Jesus hits on this in such a powerful way here at the very end of his gospel of Matthew, before he ascends to heaven, because if we have the right identity and the right instruction, we become strong. We become the kind of disciples who can make other disciples. But you see people who don't have good instruction and they don't have the right identity. We see Christians all over the place who don't have the right identity and what they are is weak Christians. We see people all over the place who don't have the right identity and what they become is hypocritical Christians. We see people all over the place who don't have the right identity and what, what they inevitably become is just kind of washed back and forth by the intense waves of life. Emotionally depleted, make myself try a little harder, Christians are what you get when you do not have the right identity and instruction. But with these, what you see is strong, influential, loving Christians everywhere. And with the right identity and with the right instruction, what you see is Christians who know who they are and whose they are, and therefore they have a different kind of confidence through all of life. Now, I don't know about you, it seems kind of obvious to me that Jesus would say, teach them. Give them instruction. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you and all that I have taught you. That seems kind of obvious. Like any coach, any teacher, any professor, frankly, any parent, any mentor will focus on teaching because teaching is critical to the foundation of what we become as people. We all know that, right? That's no less so in the spiritual realm as it is in any other realm. We need to have good teaching on a consistent basis to become well, what God wants us to be. But it's a little bit less intuitive, at least to me, that Jesus says, go and baptize. Like at the top of the list. I don't know about you, but like when I think of making disciples, I'm not sure if I would say at the top of my list, in addition to teaching them all that Jesus commanded, the next thing would be, go baptize people. Like, I mean, doesn't he mean to say, teach them all that I have commanded and go convert them to your politics? Isn't that what he meant? Or teach them all that I have commanded you and go have lots of wonderful pie and cookie fellowships? Is that what he meant? No, no he, he didn't choose that either. 
Or, you know, like, why didn't he say, teach them to do all that I have commanded and sing great songs about me? Okay, all of those are good things to do. I mean, except for converting people to your politics. Uh, all the other are good things to do. Um, but, but why did he say, teach and baptize? Because identity is that critical to who we are. As you look at John chapter 4, in fact, I'm going to start here at uh, John 1. Have you been surprised as we've been marking it up through the Gospel of John how often you see baptism come up? Anyone else? have Have you noticed in the first few chapters how often it comes up? Let me just remind you, in chapter 1, at verse 26, John the Baptist says, I baptize with water, but there's one who comes that you don't yet know, and I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. So there's John baptizing with water. It goes on a little bit later in that same chapter. He says, there's one who is coming who will baptize not with water, but with the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit will come into you after you receive him. And he begins to give instruction on Jesus' baptism. You go on in chapter 2, and you see Jesus changing water into wine. And as he does so, what does he, well, what does he take to, to, to turn the water into wine? He takes the baptismal tanks. <laughs> he takes the ceremonial washing tanks that were used for Jewish baptism, and he takes those 30, 40-gallon containers, and he turns those into wine. Okay, that's Jewish baptism that he transforms in that passage. Then you get on to chapter 3 and uh, verse 22, you have this really interesting episode in which Jesus and his disciples are in one side of a lake or one side of a river. We're not exactly sure. And then John and his disciples are on the other side of this river or lake, and they're within shouting distance of each other as they're each baptizing their disciples. Okay, like John the Baptist is over here on this side of the river, and he's baptizing as people repent, and then Jesus is over here. And it's almost like there's this growing competition as people are coming to follow these guys, and then the next thing they do as they're following is get baptized. With that in uh, the rear view, our last several passages, listen to John 4, verses 1 through 3. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So Jesus left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. I've wanted to teach on baptism here for quite some time, just because there are so many different things that are taught by different places, and I wanted to share what we do here and why. And so I'm going to go ahead and use this passage, though, this morning, and that backdrop, though, that I just shared to explain a little bit more about why this is so critical scripturally and what we teach related to it. Baptism shouts this. Baptism shouts that Jesus is the core of my identity, When you get baptized, you are letting people know. You are telling the world. In the old King James Version, you are testifying. I want to testify that Jesus is the core of me. 
You're saying, I once was over here, but now I have embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, his perfect life, death, and resurrection on my behalf. He has forgiven me and brought me into his family, and I'm now on his team. I'm now over here. I once was marked by, what were you marked by? Okay. I, I love you, brother. I love your responsiveness. What were you marked by? Like, you want to think about this. What were you marked by? Some of it really good stuff. Some of it not so good stuff. Like, sometimes we're marked by, I'm the most popular dude around. I have the biggest house on the block. I have a business that's just jammed, going bigger and bigger. And that's what I'm marked by. Other times, less savory things, like our brother said up here, sin, Satan, and this world, whatever it might be, okay? But I was marked by something, now I'm on team Jesus. And I'm marked by something different now. Baptism is, number one, a clear step of obedience to Jesus. Again, Matthew 28, he commands it, I'm gonna follow it. And number two, it's this identification with what Christ has done for us when he died for us and he rose again. So also, it's a symbol of the old me that's gone down into the water, the new me has come up, and Jesus now identifies with me. I identify with him, and I'm gonna let someone know. Uh, Pastor Jordan likes to tell the youth group that it's kind of like an athlete announcing which team he's going to play for at his press conference. I was on this team, but now I'm going to play on this team. Unlike the current NCAA transfer portal, you only get to do that once. Okay, I was on this team, now I'm going to play on this team. I'm with Jesus, I identify with him, I wear his uniform. Uh, have you ever seen the movie The Help? Would you raise your hand if you've seen that? Or you read the book, The Help? Wonderful book, good movie, wonderful book. Um, there's a wonderful scene in that movie. It's rooted in the 1960s in Mississippi. And this, uh, this maid, Abilene, is responsible for caring for her uh, little girl that she is taking care of. It's not her girl, but she's the maid of the house. And the mom doesn't really want much to do with May Mobley. When mom looks at Mae Mobley, her little three-year-old, what she sees is a chubby little girl who gave her the postpartum blues. And she sees Mae Mobley and she notices the ways that Mae isn't intelligent enough, at least according to mom. And so she really doesn't want to have much to do with Mae Mobley and that's getting into Mae Mobley's mind. It's getting into her heart. And so Abilene, if you remember though, this scene in the movie, she regularly takes Mae Mobley onto her lap and she says to Mae Mobley, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. You is kind, you is smart, you is important. And this is what baptism is for us in Christ. He's reorienting our identity. He looks at us and he says, you might be getting this from the world, but I'm telling you this about you. You're not mostly a sinner, now in Christ, you are mostly a saint. Other people might say this about you, but I'm telling you what I say about you is true. It's not about how much you work and earn the approval of God or the approval of any other person. It's about what Jesus has done for you to give you God's approval. 
This is what I say about you, and you are what I say you are. You are a daughter of the king, which makes you a princess. You're baptized in a new life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is what you are. Friends, Jesus desires to be the core of our identity because the core of our identity determines the direction of our lives. Here's wisdom. The core of your identity determines the direction of your life. We all act out of whatever our core beliefs are. Whatever your core beliefs are, you will act out of those. You may not say they're your core beliefs, but whatever they are down in your heart, that's how you're going to live. And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to become core to who we are, and as a result, we would say, I want to listen to him. I want to do what he says. I want to speak with him. I want to interact with him. I want to lean into him more and more to get my sense of hope in this very dark world. Identity determines direction. And baptism is one of God's great gifts to remind us who we are and where we are going in this world. Now with that in mind, let's look once again at our key passage, uh, John 4, 1 through 3. And you notice, well, what's going on here in this passage? Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. I'm just going to pause there for a second. The Pharisees take notice. They learn, Jesus learned that there's a word on the street, and the Pharisees hear, they take notice that Jesus is gaining more disciples than John. He's baptizing people. His fame is starting to grow. Suddenly, And surely, his ministry is developing, and the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of that day, have taken notice. We're not told how they took notice. It could be that um, they had witnesses there at Cana when Jesus gave his first miracle of turning water into wine. It could be that they heard about Matthew, the tax collector, who was in cahoots with the Roman government as a tax collector. He was taxing the Pharisees, and then all of a sudden he leaves his lucrative post to follow Jesus. And maybe they say, why would this man leave his lucrative post to follow this itinerant teacher? It it, it could be that they had heard that John the Baptist said of Jesus, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We don't know exactly what it is, but word has gotten out to the Pharisees, these religious teachers, that Jesus' esteem is growing. His popularity is growing, and many people are going to him, and they're pretty concerned about that. And so Secret Service, as it were, has been alarmed, and now they're tracking Jesus and his posse. But Jesus, of course, is working on God's schedule, and Jesus says, my appointed time has not yet come, verse 3, my appointed time has not yet come, I'm going back to Galilee. Jesus knows that in God's schedule, he will have this appointed time a couple years down the road in which the Pharisees will cooperate well with the Romans and they will crucify him. But he says, it's not yet my time, so I'm going back to Galilee right now. Now, in the midst of that, as Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, John notes this for us. This is, again, the Apostle John who writes this um, this beautiful book for us, the, the Gospel of John. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John notes this. 
um, not John the Baptist, John the author, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, please note this, this is really interesting, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples who baptized. Why does John, the apostle, take note of that for us? You ever thought about that? That's not Jesus doing the baptizing in this river in Judea, but it's his disciples who are doing the baptism. I think John wants to intentionally let us know that it's never about the leader who baptizes. It's always about being baptized into Christ. This is a leadership lesson for all of us who have any area of leadership in our lives, be it in our family or the workplace or our neighborhood or anything. It's never about me and my name. It's always about pointing people to Christ. And so Jesus does this amazing thing. It's truly amazing to me that he is so secure in who he is. He's so humble in who he is. He's such an amazing leader that he doesn't do it all himself, though of course he could do it all himself. Instead, what does he do? He equips others to do the work of the ministry. Like, think how hard this would have been for Jesus in this moment as all these people are coming. People are flocking from Judea, from Jerusalem, to this lake well, where he's baptizing. And who do they want to baptize them? They want Jesus to baptize them. And Jesus says, nope, 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 nope. I'm not baptizing any of you. Like, if you went to that lake, would you want Jesus or Bartholomew to baptize you? Nobody brags about Bartholomew baptizing them. You want Jesus to do it. Do you want Jesus or Peter to baptize you? Like, you say something wrong to Peter, he might leave you in the tank. Okay, everyone wanted Jesus to baptize them. But he is willing to risk their disapproval in order to be about his mission of empowering others to build this great movement across the world made up of frail, ordinary, sinful people like us who are ministers of God for the cause of the gospel. Just ordinary people like us that are entrusted with the most important spiritual activities. And Jesus forsakes the joy of personally getting to baptize all these folks to empower his own disciples to do it. Let me just remind you of our five-year strategic initiatives, our five-year strategic plan. Right at the center of our five-year strategic plan, from here to there, is this line, from church-dependent to equipped to lead. This is our vision across all of our ministries, that they would not be dependent on any individual that we all would say, we're all equipped to lead in our most important relationships, we're equipped to lead in our families, we're equipped to be ministers of the gospel, no matter where we go, whatever we're doing, and Adrian, and Carrie, and Justine, and Brian, and Kent, and Jordan, and Aaron, and all the rest are simply equippers, simply administers such that all of us together, collectively, could be the ones who make an impact on our community. I I love the way Pastor Kent says it, and he did such a great job with child dedications, though, this morning, but I love the way he says it. He says, down in Next Generation Ministries, we are equipping parents to be the primary 
faith trainers of their kids. He's saying it's not about me. It's not about me. I want parents to be the stars of their kids' spiritual journeys. My prayer is that all of us would be the ones that are making the difference in our neighborhoods. Few things bring me more joy as a pastor than when a teenager comes to me at a baptism class and says, I'd like my mom and dad to baptize me. My parents are strong Christians. I'd like them to baptize me. Amen! I love that. Because it ain't about the pastor. It's about the people. Amen? It's not about the program. It's about the people. It's about exalting Christ and helping people to be ministers of the gospel themselves. You know, just as an aside, particularly when we do child dedication, I'll sometimes get, get questions. Well, why don't you guys baptize babies here? And that's a really good question, a very fair question, as there are many different denominations that do baptize babies. We don't baptize babies here. We do what's called child dedication, in which these parents that we just saw on stage are dedicating themselves and dedicating their family to, to following Christ. But we don't see in the scriptures any place where babies are baptized. Now, we recognize other denominations that do it differently. And we don't judge that, but there's not really any scriptural support for babies by being baptized. So instead, what we do is we practice believer's baptism. And believer's baptism is after someone comes to be a certain age, and maybe they were even baptized as a baby. I was. Baptized as a baby, then baptized again as an adult. Okay? But after you become a certain age where you say, I commit myself to following Christ, then you announce, you have that press conference in which you say, I'm going with Team Jesus. I commit myself to, to following him and I will follow his command to, to be baptized and tell my world that I'm going with Christ. Again, it's equipping to lead that needs to be central to everything that we do as parents and as ministers of the gospel. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it as he's talking about equipping to lead. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, notice Paul's vision here. He says, the things you... So you here is Timothy, the things you have heard me, me here is Paul, the things you, Timothy, have heard me, Paul, say in the presence of many witnesses, uh, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I see there one generation, two generations, and trust to other reliable people, three generations. And this is the Apostle Paul's vision for the future. He's thinking about the next four generations as he's thinking about his discipleship. He, I mean, he's always looking out, always looking to how do we grow up more kids, more teenagers, more college students for the gospel. But because it's not about me, it's about the grace of God going out to, to more and more. Four generations in one verse. And this is so critical because we have this tendency to idolize people. Whereas the Apostle Paul says, don't idolize me. Look into the future and what God's going to be doing through the next generation. Paul had to deal with this again and again in his ministry. Here's another example of this. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, there's division in the church in Corinth. Could you imagine that? Division in the church, could you imagine? There's division in the church in Corinth, and here's how the Apostle Paul deals with it. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still, uh, still another says, I follow Christ. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, and beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. But the point is, don't follow a person. It's not about the person baptizing. It's about Christ. And this goes for all of leadership in the Christian world. Please don't follow me. Follow Christ. Follow me only in as much as I am dead focused on the target of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in chapter 3 and he says um, that there are people who are splitting the church up over this. And he says, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Who is Cephas? They're only servants. And that's all we are. We're just servants. Like John the Baptist said, we must become less. He must become greater. He must increase. We must decrease. And so Jesus equipped other people to lead so that he could develop this master plan for transforming the world one disciple at a time. As you would disciple another, as you disciple your family and yet you move out from there, he wants us to be the instruments of his grace. He gave his followers this gift of baptism, well, once again, for this reason, the core of your identity determines the core of your life. The core of your identity determines the direction of your life. Let's say this out loud together and let's personalize it. The core of my identity, say this with me, the core of my identity determines the direction of my life. I didn't hear you fall from the venue. Let's say it one more time. The core of my identity determines the direction of my life. Friends, this is so critical. I can't say it strongly enough. It's what you get your identity from that will determine what you hope in. Who you get your identity from will determine who gets to name you, who gets to correct you, who gets to guide you. Who you get your identity from determines whether you will have peace in the storms of life or not. This is so critically vital because it determines the direction of our emotional and spiritual health for the rest of our lives. We've got to get our identity right. If we have a new, regenerated, Christ-directed heart, what God does, well, when he comes into our lives is this. We embrace the gospel and he gives us a new, regenerated heart. He takes from us our old heart of stone. He gives us a new heart of flesh. It's like he takes from us our old, rusted-out engine and he gives us a new V8 Hemi engine underneath the hood. 
such that we have a new power to follow him as he would direct us. And as he gives us that new power, we're no longer relying on the things that we used to rely on to give us our sense of value in this world. So I don't look to all of my great human accomplishments to say I have value in this world. I look to Jesus' accomplishments on my behalf to realize that I have value in this world. I don't seek to earn other people's approval so that I feel good about myself. I receive God's approval and then I feel good about myself. I don't proffer my resume for other people to see how much I've accomplished. I receive Jesus' resume on my behalf, his great resume, which says I can stand because of what he has done for me. Do you see the difference? This leads to life in abundance. We, we got to live in this. We, we got to live in the the regenerated heart, and get all of our life, all of our sense of worth, all of our sense of value out of identity with Christ to dwell with him, to enjoy him, and it changes the direction and the emotional health of our world, of our world, of our lives. It gets changed. Like, I, I don't live in this all the time, but I live in it a lot more than I, do, than I did a decade ago. I live in this hope and in this peace and in this sense of personal value a lot more from God and a lot less from other people now than I did a decade ago. And again, it's not all the time, but I'm telling you, for weeks and sometimes for months, I'm getting my sense of value purely from Jesus. Getting my sense of affirmation purely from Jesus. Because like you, I have a tough job. And like you, I have challenges in my family. And so I have to go to the one who never wavers, as opposed to looking to humans for my strokes. And he gives me my sense of identity. And I don't experience this all the time. But what I'm trying to tell you is this is not ivory tower intellectual stuff. This is not spiritual jargon. As we lean into Christ more, as we live out of the regenerated heart that he has given us more, we experience more of life and value regardless of human approval or disapproval. Listen, if you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you to be baptized. And our next baptism service is going to be June 13th, and it's going to be an awesome celebration. And if you haven't been baptized as a believer, maybe you were as a baby like I was, and you want to be baptized as a believer, you can let us know that on this connection card. You can pick one of those up by the box. You can also fill one of these out online at carneyefree.com. Um, but baptism is critical to Jesus' plan of discipleship because identity is critical to hope for the future. The core of our identity determines the direction of our lives. I'm going to invite our band uh, up on the stage right now. And as our band, band comes up on the stage, I'm going to wrap up. And as I wrap up, I want to just tell you a little bit about my own baptism story, okay? If that's all right, I've just, I see zero, zero, zero on the clock. I have no time left, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Because I got the microphone. I came to Christ at age 19, as I've told you before. But it wasn't until I was 24 years old that I finally took up the courage to be baptized. And I went back and forth on that, and I wavered, and I wondered what other people would think about me. And uh, finally, I made that decision on October 8th, 2000, 
to be baptized. And this was at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Don't hold it against me. And I went to a great church there in Boulder. And I was a student on that campus. And as I was growing in my faith, I got to know a wonderful pastor. And eventually he'd be the one that baptized me. And as I got into that baptismal tank on October 8th, 2000, he looked me in the eyes and he loved me. And he asked me my story. And I was able to tell him about some of my doubts and some of my fears and tell the church, including many family members and many friends, many of whom were followers of Christ and many of whom were not followers of Christ, how I've allowed other people to define me for far too long, but today I'm allowing Jesus to define me. And I was able to tell these family members and friends that day how I have these tapes that are in my brain where I rewind all of my previous failures and I begin to believe that my past will define me. And instead, my pastor looked at me in the eye and he told me, your past does not define you, Jesus defines you. And I remember back to, to that day on a regular basis, well, when I quoted my baptism verse that says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. And I've sought to go back to that again and again such that I would rely, actually rely on a daily basis to rest in the love God has for me. And that I would get my sense of approval from him. I would get my sense of identity from him. I would root myself and establish myself in him because he is what lasts. And I'm telling you, the more I do that, even now as I go through seasons of doubt and despair, which I do, I do too. I go through serious seasons of doubt and despair. And when I do, I'll go back to that baptism day of October 8th, 2000, and I'll remember those moments and remember that this was a symbol of Jesus grabbing a hold of me. And while I may fail, he won't let go of me. And while I might mark myself by my failures, and other people might mark me by any number of different things, ultimately, the waves of despair recede back into the ocean as I remember that baptismal date, and I remember that I am not who someone else says I am. I am who Jesus says. And you are who Jesus says you are.